0: Welcome to Talking About the Bible podcast with Reverend Bob Wood. I wanted to talk to you a little bit before we actually start the Bible study today to tell you about how things are going to be changing with the podcast. If you've been coming to listen to Bible studies, you're still going to have Bible studies. That is uh, predominantly what talking about the Bible is. But we're going to be expanding it a little bit. As I create Bible studies for my people here in El Pino, Honduras, I make PowerPoints, I make handouts, I make all kinds of different resources, and I'm going to start including them in the show notes. You can go to the show notes and you'll be able to download the PowerPoint, you'll be able to download transcripts, you'll be able to download handouts and different other resources that you can use in your Bible study wherever you are in the world. It's all free, I know a lot of people including myself constantly looking for new materials to use in Bible studies but a, a lot of those are very expensive. And you're going to be able to download the the work that I've done for free so I want to encourage you to look in the show notes if you're a Bible teacher, you teach Sunday school, you teach adult or men's course, you teach youth Whatever a home Bible study, whatever you happen to, to be um, doing, and if this work helps you in preparing and presenting the Bible, I am excited about it. Just check into the show notes. Genesis chapter three. And today's story is a story that is known, I imagine, to everyone. Virtually everyone in the world has probably some understanding of what happens with the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. Clearly in the English-speaking world, it is widely known, even by those who've maybe never read the Bible. They at least know the basic outline of a story. A serpent talks to a woman and a man, and they end up getting kicked out of paradise. Today we're going to look a little closer at the story and maybe see some things that, a little differently than than we would have before you know one of the chief things when we come to the Bible, one of the primary objectives is to try to understand the story as best we can as the original hearers would have heard the story, so in the synagogue or the church or in the case of this story, maybe Moses is teaching the people out in the desert they're hearing the story for the first time, and they're understanding it from their context. And sometimes when we understand the, their context a little better, we can understand the true meaning of the story. Because see, I'm not sure that we really grasp the full fullness of the story without looking at at least one area of context. When we understand the context then we can apply the lessons of the story to ourselves. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now when we first look at this story, the first word that jumps out is, we have a serpent, and that serpent that was made by God is craftier, wiser in some translations, than all the beasts of the field. And then he said, that's the serpent, said something to the woman. He starts talking. Now that is surely should floor us because only twice in the Bible do we have animal-like creatures talking. One is this serpent talking and then one time we have a donkey that talks to a prophet, Balaam. So it's not normal. And I don't want you to come away thinking, well, did all the animals in the garden talk? That clearly is not uh, what is intended by the story. I believe that this is meant to give us an understanding of who this serpent really is. When we think of snakes, we usually think of something like this picture I have here, if if you're watching by video. A green snake... Looks kind of evil, kind of scary. Snakes have become symbolic for, for evil in, in Western culture especially. But you know, it wasn't always like that. In fact, in Egyptian culture, where Moses and his ancestors were for 400 years, they saw serpents a little differently than we do. Here's a, a drawing of a serpent that is a part of the myth the religions of Egypt. This is a serpent that has four wings, or two wings, four on each side, for a total of four-winged serpent. There's other images of serpents in Egyptian religion. And oftentimes they're depicted as they are in this graphics. In the center is the god. And around it on each side are the serpents At this point, they kind of look like cobras, but they're guarding the god. They're the god's army, or the god's guardians. They're supernatural creatures. They're not regular serpents. They're supernatural, and they are protecting the god. Here's another example of it, and that is, and this is from a uh, wall in the temple in Karnak, and you'll see that, there is, in the midst of the picture, a beetle-like creature in a, in a form. It's kind of a, a cylinder, kind of oval, a very big paperclip-like oval. And in that is the name of the pharaoh. And then on each side, what's guarding the pharaoh are serpents. Serpents were seen as the guardians of the gods and the guardians of the pharaohs, because the pharaohs were viewed as living gods. Now, I wanted to show you a picture, but I couldn't find a non copyrighted one, but if you'll use your imagination, maybe you recall, of the golden mask that was found with King Tut. In the middle of his forehead, coming out of that golden mask, is a golden carving of a serpent protecting the crown of the Pharaoh. Serpents were seen as guardians of the gods. And I think we're supposed to understand here that this serpent that is appearing in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, is not a normal snake. He's smarter than all the creatures of the field, a craftier, and that he talks and that he is a guardian of God, or at least he was at one time. But he was a heavenly creature, or at this point maybe even still is. But his actions, we'll see, are contrary to God. Let's read that verse again and keep going. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And the serpent, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the Lord God commanded, it says, In chapter 2, we actually can find where God says to the man, Adam, What are the rules of the garden? It's in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So the serpent's line here is that the woman is kind of, first of all, she's been put upon because she can't eat of any of the trees of, of the garden, but she straightens that out. No, I can eat of, what, of all of them but this one. But then the serpent kind of goes on, but why can't you eat of this one? You're not going to die. If when you eat of it, you're going to become like God, knowing good and evil. And the temptation starts that way with the serpent saying you're going to be like God, which is really the root of all sin. I'm going to stray from the the text just for a minute. The root of all sin is that we want to be like God. It is the defiance in our hearts that we don't want to conform into the image of God. We want to make our own decisions. Whatever sin it is that is listed in the Bible, not some of those made-up sins. I'll talk about that in another lesson. But those sins are actually in the Bible, when we violate them, we're violating them because we're saying we should be able to decide for ourselves what to do. The serpent says, when you eat of the tree, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. And that is what we want to be. We want to be our own gods. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Most interesting part of the passage here. She takes the tree. She sees it's good for food. She sees that it looks pretty. She sees that it's going to make her wise. And she eats of it. And she hands it to her husband who's right there who takes it and eats it too. He hasn't asked any questions. He was the one who actually heard God give the commandment not to eat from this tree. He knows he's eating from this tree, but he just is following what his wife is suggesting that he do. He takes it and he eats too. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. An interesting, very interesting phrase used here. They recognize their nakedness. What they're seeing is not that their body is any different. What's happened is they now recognize their guilt and their sin. They are no longer covered by holiness. They are sinful creatures, and they want to cover up their private parts. They sew fig leaves together and make themselves loincloths around their waists. The innocence, the purity, the holiness is gone. Their eyes have been opened, and they see what they've become sin has consequences let's see what the consequences of these sins are now generally you would think that consequences are only for the man and the woman but i'm going to tell you there's consequences for all three characters in this story the serpent the woman and the man Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Here is, I think, really the story that clearly defines the fall of Satan. We don't really have a clear story in the Bible of the fall of Satan. I think there's no doubt that this is. He has destroyed God's creation by his temptation of Adam and Eve. And he's been lowered from his lofty position as a throne guardian to an animal that's going to crawl on his belly. Now, Satan, I think we're we're talking about some symbology here. He has been, from his high estate, he has sunk to a very low one. And it says in verse 15 that God's going to put enmity between the woman and her offspring, and her offspring will bruise the head of the serpent, and the head and the serpent will bruise his heel. Now some translation says that the offspring of this woman will crush the serpent's head, and he will bruise his heel. We understand this passage very is a very unique situation in the writings of Moses, in that it talks about offspring coming from a woman. Normally we think of offspring coming from a man. We don't hear phrases about, for example, Rebecca's children. They're Isaac's children, the sons of Abraham, sons of Isaac, the son of Jacob. Not the, the, the women we know, but they're not seen as exclusive, the offspring from them. And that's Partially because of the way the Bible sees the role of sexuality at this time. It's really predominantly the man who is the progenitor of offspring. But here it's talking about there's going to be a woman who has offspring. And that woman's offspring is going to crush or bruise the head of the snake. Many of us see this as the first prophecy about the coming of Jesus Christ. It is A prophecy that says God's got a plan even in the midst of this sin and this situation where Satan has destroyed the creation to redeem the creation, to destroy Satan and to bring everything back into its right balance. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So we have a the, the punishment for the women, woman, and therefore, in a sense, for all women afterwards, is this pain in childbirth, and her desires for her husband seem to be contrary to her husband's desires, this eternal struggle in the family, but that the man is the ruler over the woman. That's not how we were created. And Adam and Eve were created. Eve came from the rib, from the side of man to walk with him and beside him to be his helpmate. But sin has destroyed that. It has destroyed the purity of what was desired in the garden. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the fields. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken for your dust, and to dust you shall return. Here we see that for man is really harshly spoken to when we see that he listened to the voice of his wife instead of listening to the voice of God. And when he did that, he he had sinned. The, the consequences is that he's going to work all his days of his life just to survive. That the earth that in the Garden of Eden was so lush and so fruit everywhere and food everywhere and there's no limits and no needs and everything was perfect, has been totally uh, destroyed for him. Now he's going to have to just work till he dies just for bread. And when he dies, he will return to the dust. And that wasn't God's original plan. Adam and Eve were to live forever. They're eating that fruit from the tree of life and they were to never die. But now because of the consequence of sin, death has come in to their lives the man called his wife's name eve because she was the mother of all living and the lord god made for adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them then the lord god said behold the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever therefore the lord god sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So guarding the way to the tree of life is a cherubim. This is another angelic being. you got to understand the first readers understood the world in a different way than we did. Probably I would say in the right way. They saw that God had a whole army of heavenly creatures. And this particular one, a cherubim, which is over 90 times that cherubims are referred to in the Old Testament, are another guardian of God or part of his army. They are pictured especially on the top of the Ark of the Covenant with 10-foot tall wings. They are seen as these uh, characters that guard and protect. And so one is placed here to guard the way to the tree of life so that Adam and Eve cannot return and eat of the tree of life. Because if they did, they would live forever in their sins and there would be no hope. This is a story that is in many ways very depressing because we, we leave Eden. We have received the knowledge of evil and we as human beings... Are living with the consequences even to this day as we struggle and fight. For this took man out of the paradise where there would be no sickness and no sorrow and placed him in a world where there is sickness, disease, death, war, pestilence, racism, all kinds of evil. It all started because we want to be our own God. You will be like God, the serpent said. And Eve and Adam took it. The truth is, the solution for the Garden of Eden scene, for the getting kicked out of paradise, is Jesus Christ who will come, is in the story, die on the cross. His sins takes away the curse. And then when he comes the second time and we enter into the fullness of his kingdom, when there is a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth will pass away. And the city of God, the throne of God is with men. And there is a new tree of life, a new river of life. Then there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more cancer, there'll be no more hate. There'll be no more crying. There'll be eternal love. We return to the garden. The story is depressing, but it also gives us great hope to know there is going to be a new garden and that we will go there someday. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast, and I ask that you consider subscribing on your favorite podcast catcher. If it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, you can find the Talking About the Bible podcast in all of these and virtually all podcast apps. Also, you could check out our website, revbobwood.com, or our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Rev. Bob Wood. I hope you enjoyed the Bible study, and I would love to hear from you. You can write me at my email, bob at revbobwood.com.